Hello Wanderers, I am not sure how much of today's tale will be adapted in the planned five seasons for the Rings of Power show, but let me just say that this episode is likely a huge spoiler alert. However, The Silmarillion was published in 1977, so you've had all this time to read it yourself. Today we will explore the tragic drowning of the mighty kingdom of Numenor, as told in a tale called The Colabaith in J.R.R. Tolkien's book called The Silmarillion. If you like what you hear today, please let me know by leaving a five-star review. Welcome! In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today's episode date is July 28. We are 36 days away from the debut of Amazon's Rings of Power series. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 2941 of the Third Age, Gandalf has departed from Bilbo and the Dwarves, who are traversing the Forest of Mirkwood. And as of tomorrow, July 29th, in the year 1954 of our age, The Fellowship of the Ring is published. Happy 68th birthday, Fellowship! This is adapted from the Today in Middle-earth History calendar on the OneRing.net. Let's check the map. These map checks are inspired by the beautiful maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books and I hope give you the context for today's story. If none of this makes sense, please listen to a few previous episodes and catch back up. It is the second age of Middle-earth. The mighty kingdom of Numenor has been established in the midst of the sea, and while the men who live there are blessed with long life, they begin to long for the promise of immortality enjoyed by the Valar and the Elves. Sauron, in a wise and fair form, has been captured by the king of Numenor, Arfarazon, but within three years has manipulated his way to being Arfarazon's most trusted advisor. Because of this, the Numenorians have turned away from the worship of Eru Iluvatar and instead worship the Dark. A contingent of the people stay true to the Valar. They call themselves the Faithful, and are led by Amandil and his son Elindil and grandsons Isildur and Anaria. Sauron desires to destroy the kingdom of Numenor and attempts to convince Arfarazon to break the ban of the Valar and sail into the west. Let's start by looking at Sauron's lies to Arfarazon. Sauron convinces Arfarazon that the Valar are immortal only because they have, quote, possessed themselves of the land where there is no death, and claims that the gift of unending life can be won by men, quote, of might and pride and great lineage, such as Arfarazon, finally ending with, quote, great kings take what is their due. Arfarazon believes Sauron and his lies, and begins to plan a war against the Valar. Amandil, the leader of the faithful and father to Elindil, hears of Arfarazon's plan and decides that he will sail into the west first, like Eärendil of old, to plead before the Valar, quote, for mercy upon men and their deliverance from Sauron the deceiver. He instructs Elindil and Elindil's sons to prepare their own ships, gather what faithful they can find, and leave Numenor to be exiles in Middle-earth. Elindil and his sons do prepare their ships to depart. Upon their ships, the faithful take such heirlooms as they had, including some jewels and scrolls of lore, as well as seven stones that have been gifted to them by the elves. These seven stones would be the Palantiri, the seeing stones that we see in the Third Age. Isildur, Elindil's son, places in his ship the young sapling tree that sprouted from the fruit of Nimloth. Thus, Elindil, Isildur, and Anarion wait on their ships on the eastern end of the island, awaiting, quote, a sign that did not come. 
Yet changes were happening to the weather of Numenor. Before now, the weather had been appropriate to the needs of the people. But now, quote, the sky itself darkened. Numenorean ships suffered wrecks on the open seas, which had never before happened. And out of the west, great clouds in the shape of an eagle would loom over the land, and some even brought lightning and thunder to Numenor. These eagle-like clouds the men called, quote, the eagles of Manwe, and some would repent of their evil ways for a time. But others grew more angry and rebellious, claiming that the lords of the west had made acts of war upon them first. The dome of Sauron's temple was struck by lightning and split, but the temple itself was unharmed. Sauron climbed to the top of the temple and, quote, defied the lightning and was unharmed, and in that hour men called him a god and did all that he would, which technically Sauron is sort of like a demigod, being one of the Maiar, the class of divine beings who serve the Valar. One additional weather change. Smoke began to bellow from the holy mountain, Meneltarma, though it had been nearly 50 years since anyone had set foot at the summit. Finally, our father Zonas prepared his fleet. The ships were so numerous that they darkened the western shore of Numenor and appeared as, quote, an archipelago of a thousand isles. The ships awaited for the command from Arfada's own. And where was Sauron now? Did he have the bravery to sail with the Numenorians and attack the Valar? Of course not. He knew their war was in vain. He, quote, withdrew into the inmost circle of the temple, and men brought him victims to be burned. Arfada's Zon has his throne set on a massive ship and gives the command to sail west, in defiance of the ban set by the powers of the world. Quote, in that hour, the trumpets of Numenor outrang the thunder. They sail west. Arfadazon's fleet surrounds the elven island of Tol Erisea, and the elves mourned for the tall masts of the Numenorian ships blocked the light of the setting sun. But they sailed on, and finally Arfadazon came to the undying lands. All was silent, and almost he turned back, but, quote, pride was now his master. He leaves his ship and steps on to the shore. Now, the Valar had known of the coming of men into the west, but it seemed in this matter their wisdom and counsel failed them. What were the Valar to do when Iluvatar's own children claimed war against them? Manwe, king of the Valar, calls upon Iluvatar, and the Valar step aside as Iluvatar demonstrates his power over his creation and literally changes the world. First, a great chasm opens underneath the sea between Numenor and the Undying Lands. The waters of the sea flow into the chasm, and Arfadazon's mighty fleet is drawn into the abyss, quote, and they were drowned and swallowed up forever. For those mortal men who had set foot in the Undying Lands, like Arfadazon and a few warriors, a landslide buries them, and they, quote, lie imprisoned in the caves of the Forgotten. The Undying Lands, including Amon, Valinor, and the elven isle of Erisea, were hidden from the reach or sight of mortal man. The great island of Numenor, gift to men from the Valar, quote, was utterly destroyed. The chasm under the sea had opened right at the foundations of the island, and it fell, quote, down into darkness. Before the island was drowned, Meltarma, Iluvatar's holy mountain, suddenly burst with fire, and a great wind rushed over the land. Then the island slid into the sea, quote, with all its children, and its wives, and its maidens, and its ladies proud. Not to mention the towers, harbors, tombs, riches, and lore. It was all lost. Tarmiriel attempted to ascend the steps to the summit of Meltarma, but she was overtaken by the waters. What about the faithful? Elindil and his sons, waiting on their ships off the eastern coasts? It is unknown if Amondil ever reached Valinor to plead for the cause of men. But by the grace of the Valar, the faithful survived the drowning of Numenor. Elindil had refused to go to war and had evaded Sauron's soldiers who had come to sacrifice him in Sauron's temple. But the great wind that rushed over Numenor filled the cells of the faithful, and mighty waves swept their ships to the east towards Middle-earth. After many days, they landed back in Middle-earth. Let's pause the story here for a second and take a look at Aragorn's crowning in The Return of the King. Aragorn holds the crown aloft and says these words, you'll have to pardon my elvish. 
et eirelo endorena utulien. Sinome maruvan ar ildanyar ten ambar meta. Yeah, I think I like Viggo Mortensen's singing rendition in the movie a lot better. Anyway, the next paragraph says, quote, Those were the words that Elendil spoke when he came up out of the sea on wings of the wind. Out of the great sea to Middle-earth I am come. In this place will I abide and my heirs unto the ending of the world. Another token of the landing of the faithful was the stone of Eric. This is the stone that Aragorn calls the dead army to in order to fulfill their oath. This stone, quote, had been brought out of the ruin of Numenor and there set by a sealed door at his landing. Elrond was alive at the time of this great changing of the world, and in the Council of Elrond, in the Fellowship of the Ring, Elrond gives a summary of the events of the Second Age, including, quote, of Numenor he spoke, its glory and its fall, and the return of the kings of men to Middle-earth, out of the depths of the sea, borne upon the wings of storm. Then Elendil the Tall and his mighty sons, Isildur and Anarion, became great lords. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game. A haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. Welcome back. Elendil and his sons would go on to found the Kingdom of Arnor in the north, of which the Shire was a part, and the Kingdom of Gondor in the south. Elendil ruled in the Northern Kingdom. The Southern Kingdom was jointly ruled by Isildur and Anarion. In Gondor, two mighty fortresses are built, each appearing to be named after each son, Minas Ithil and Minas Anor, which also reminds me of the original names of the Moon and Sun, Isil and Anar, which I covered in Episode 9. However, these fortresses would later become known respectively as the Morgul Vale and Minas Tirith. In Minas Tirith, Isildur planted the sapling tree, as recounted by Elrond in the Fellowship of the Ring. Quote, there in the courts of the king grew a white tree, from the seed of that tree which Isildur brought over the deep waters. And the seed of that tree before came from Eresea, and before that out of the uttermost west, in the day before days when the world was young. So the line of the kings was able to continue, as Tar Palantir, Muriel's father, had foretold, at least for a little while. And what of Sauron? What of his fate when Numenor sank into the sea? He was afraid of the wrath of the Valar, for his intent was only the death of the Numenorean king and people, and he wildly underestimated the Valar's response to the breaking of the band. As the fleet sailed into the west, Sauron sat laughing in his temple. He started making plans for what he would do now in the world, now that he was free of the challenge of the Dúnedain. Even as he celebrated his enemy's defeat, quote, his seat and his temple fell into the abyss. So sudden was the sinking of Numenor that Sauron's body also fell into the abyss, but his spirit was able to arise from the deep and pass back to the black land of Mordor. Yet from this time forth he, quote, could never again appear fair to the eyes of men. 
in his tower Baradur, he again took up his ruling ring until he could make a new body for his spirit, quote, an image of malice and hatred made visible, and the eye of Sauron, the terrible, few could endure. Here our tale ends, with the drowning of the mighty kingdom of Numenor, gifted to men for their service to the elves in the First Age, and established by Elrond's own brother Elros, the downfall of the kingdom of Numenor marks the end of the Second Age of Middle-earth, and the beginning of the Third. Numenor is often equated with the legend of Atlantis, and there are certainly some resemblances, especially in the names given to Numenor by men after its downfall. Quote, but the exiles, if they turned towards the west in the desire of their hearts, spoke of Mar Nufalmar, that was whelmed in the waves, Chalabeth, the downfallen, Atalante, in the Alarentum. The exiles of Middle-earth also believed that the summit of the holy mountain, Menaltarma, rose again as a small island in the midst of the great sea, but they never found it, and those who searched for it continued to sail west and came not again to the undying lands. So they said, quote, all roads are now bent. Yet the wise among them believed that a straight road to the undying land still existed, quote, for those that were permitted to find it. Please join me in the next episode, where we'll rewind the time a bit and examine the forging of the Rings of Power. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.